Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week 10, day 5 of our study of 2 Corinthians. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about 2 Corinthians 13, 11-14. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we finish 2 Corinthians today? Lord, would you open Scripture up to us? Give us revelation into your Word. Reveal to us the knowledge of your Son through your Word and fill our hearts and our minds with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With Alice Shem God's Word, I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is 2 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So he's saying, you know, strive for full restoration. I, I think in light of what he just said in the previous passage, restoration with God through repentance, right? But also with one another. He's saying, encourage one another, be of one mind, right? You, it's, a, it's a really important thing. And I've done some interesting reading about, especially the early church. There was a, a Justin Martyr wrote about some of the earliest liturgies of the church, meaning that the order, a liturgy is just an order of service, right? If, if, if you think that that's some kind of like high church thing, the liturgy just means literally the, the, the order of service, how you run a church service. And so Justin Martyr is one of the earliest writers about how church services, how Christians in the earliest days, first century church, post, post book of Acts, right? How they did things. And one uh, expression of that that he wrote about was in the, in the city of Rome, how the Romans did things, or the, the, the church in Rome, that is. And they would do what Paul is saying. They, they took this very seriously, what we're reading here and what, it, what we're about to read. <clears throat> and they would require that all of the believers gather together and greet each other with a holy kiss. And this is the next verse we're about to read. And they had to greet each other with this holy kiss. And, and Justin Martyr writes, essentially, that the reason for that was because if you knew that you had to go to church the next Sunday— and see this person that, right, like, let's say you had a, a business deal that went south and you're angry at this other guy in church, right? Something went, something happened and now you're angry with him. If you know that you're going to have to see that person in church and embrace them and give them this holy kiss. And this is not, I mean, Americans just don't do this, but Europeans most certainly do. And as Americans, we all know that it totally weirds us out. Right, but this is this the, the Europeans do this because it is a a holdover of when the church actually used to do this, and the reason they did this, men would give each other kisses on the cheek. You know, you see the the embrace. You know, Europe where one cheek, the other cheek, right? And it's not impossible. You can fake this, but if you're really angry at somebody, the last thing you want to do, even if you got to fake it. The last thing that you want to do is embrace them close enough and give them a kiss on one cheek and then on the other. Nobody wants to do that. Right? And so the idea is to, to be of such a, a, a close-knit group and be of one mind, be reconciled and restored to each other. 
that if you know you've got to do that the next Sunday, you're just going to say, the heck with it. I'm going to go talk to them now. We're going to make this right. Because I really don't want to have to go through the discomfort of having to fake that and having to embrace this person when all I want to do is punch him or worse. And Justin Martyr wrote that that was actually quite effective. It was actually quite effective because people would actually during the week intentionally go to the other person and try to make it right. So that when they gathered together, and these meetings were so special, so important to them in those times, because they were a lot of times they were under intense persecution. So the last thing when you're under, when everyone's being persecuted, I mean, there's, these are times when they're meeting in the catacombs. When you're under that kind of persecution, the last thing you want to do is hold a grudge against someone in church. They took this very seriously, what Paul's writing right here. And some of this stuff exists to this day. Continue on verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people, verse 13, here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I wonder what it was like back in those days when they did greet each other with a holy kiss. Again, I mean, it's totally weird for Americans. Americans don't really do this. Europeans just do it. I imagine that Europeans do it so much that they can fake it now. I, I do not believe. I have never read anywhere. I mean, it, it could have been possible, but I've never read anywhere that the, the Greeks and the Romans greeted each other with these kind of holy kisses and things like that. I don't think that was part of their culture. And so I, I believe this is a distinctly Christian thing. I don't even know that the Jews did this. I've never read that as well. So this is, in my opinion, from everything that I've read, and I've by no means read every, everything there is to read, but I've not found anything where this is not distinctly Christian. And this idea of greeting each other with a holy kiss so that we are one and unified. Again, in the earliest days, Justin Martyr said this was quite effective. Because the idea was that the church, to be what we need to be and to go through what we need to go through, we've got to be one in spirit. We can't, as Paul's saying here, we can't be one in spirit if we have fellowship with sin if we haven't repented of sin or if we're calling sin, not sin. And please hear me because many people can confuse this idea of sin. That, that if I've sinned, well, then I, I can't be part of the church and I'm kicked out. And all this, I mean, I hear this over and over again. It is, it is so unbiblical it's so not true, but it is such a commonly held misconception that if, if, you know, someone accuses me of being sinful or living in sin or whatever, then they obviously don't want me here. No, no, just the opposite. We really want you here and we really want you to repent of your sin because we really want you to be free. So this is a very common misconception that if, if someone says, well, I'm, you know, you're sinful, you're in sin, that, oh, I can't be here. You don't want me here. No, no, we don't. We don't make excuses for sin. We don't say, hey, your sin is a okay and we want you here anyway. 
No, we want you here, but we want you here free of your sin because we can't exist. We can't have fellowship if there's also fellowship with sin because we can't have fellowship with the Holy Spirit and fellowship with sin. We can't have fellowship with Jesus or God and have fellowship with sin. And so we can't really honestly fellowship with each other and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and fellowship with sin. It doesn't work. So Paul is ending this book. And I think it's a beautiful way to end it. He's making it clear that you need to repent, those of you that have given yourself into all of these kinds of things. We could say the same thing today. And how many churches in America, how many churches in the West have said, I don't know, Paul, if you are really speaking on behalf of God, because these other guys that we like listening to, they tell us that we can have Jesus and we can have our orgies. They're telling us we can have Jesus and we can sleep around. They're telling us we can have Jesus and we can shack up with our girlfriend. They're telling us that we can have Jesus and be gay. They're telling us that we can have Jesus and be trans or bi. All of this confusion nowadays, right? Those are the voices that a growing percentage of our church in the West is, is listening to. And Paul would say the same thing to us. I don't want to come and find you like this. I want you to repent. I want you to repent. And then the church has to make a decision. Do we repent so that we can have fellowship with God? Or do we double down in this stuff so we can have fellowship with our sin? But you can't do both. You can't do both. And so he's saying, you know, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He finishes with that to put this exclamation point on everything that he said. I want all of these things for you, but you can't have any of this if you don't repent. If you don't become one with God, right with God, and then be right with each other. It's, it's what we need in the church today. We need this so bad. We need this so bad. We have to turn off the voices that tell us that God or the Bible is okay with all of this stuff. That, that it is, it's, it's such a growing voice in the church in the West today. And it's not that we reject individuals who have given themselves into that. No, no, no. And I'm not even saying like, you know, we love the sin or hate the sin. No, no. We, it's like you need to understand that Jesus doesn't love the sin or hate the sin. Jesus says if you're in sin and you refuse to repent, then you are already condemned. That's the, the you know, John 3.16. You go to John 3.17 and 18. He's like, listen, I came to save everyone. But if you reject me and you want to live in your sin, you are already condemned by God. It's not love the sin or hate the sin. It's like you are condemned. You are an enemy of God if you refuse to repent. But it's not that the church or the people are rejecting you. No, we want people that are living in sin, 
but we want them to come out of it and repent so they can be made whole, so they can live in the freedom that comes from being out from under the burden and the weight of sin. The, the, the shackles of sin, the death of sin, the weight of sin. So freeing to know that you're redeemed and to be able to walk away from that and walk higher than that. That heart posture of repentance, admitting that we're sinners, admitting that we need God's salvation. That is the lifeblood of the church and it's the lifeblood of every Christian. We can't be reconciled to God without it. Doesn't I'm not saying that we have to get re-saved all of the time. That's not what I'm saying. We're gonna we're gonna get saved and give our lives to Jesus, and then we're gonna sin. But what we don't do is we don't continue in that sin and then make excuse for it and say, no, this sin is actually kind of okay with Jesus. We can't do that. It's incompatible. We get saved once, but then we continue a, a lifestyle and attitude of repentance for the rest of our lives. Running back to God. Every single time we stumble. That's what makes us righteous. That's what makes us righteous before him. My goodness, we need the message of 2 Corinthians in the American and the Western church today. We need it now more than ever. May the Lord let this message permeate the church today. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.